chapter. If you are here uh, and you've ever thought, why do we always read the chapters of the Bible? I'll just be completely upfront with you. The Bible, as one pastor says, is inerrant and authoritative, and my interpretation of it is not always that. So I want to make sure that we get what God says out And then we'll work through the passage together and see what God's teaching us from it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. There's an occasion for everything. And there's a time for activity under every activity under the sun. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build. There's a time to weep. And there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones, there's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to avoid embracing. There's a time to search, and there's a time to count as lost. There's a time to keep, and there's a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. There's a time to be silent, there's a time to speak. There's a time to love, there's a time to hate. There is a time for war, there is a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that if there is... Nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Verse 16, I also observed under the sun there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Since there is a time for every activity and every work, I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same at one As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. Everything is vanity. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to the earth. I've seen that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward for who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies. I am fascinated by some things to the point of it being a problem at my home. For a long time now, I have been watching television and I will notice certain actors or personalities or politicians or athletes or you get the picture. And when I notice those people, I want to find out what the age of that person is because it seems as if they're all getting old. It can be a little weird because if you let me, I will pause a show 
to Google the age of an actor or musician or athlete or whatever. Like I said, you get the picture. So I did a little research just to find out the age of various people that have been in our lives for a relatively long period of time. Taylor Swift, you've more than likely heard of her. Um, if you haven't, we, you should shake it off. Uh, Taylor Swift released her first album in 2006. She is 30 years old. Basically dead. <laughs> Usain Bolt won multiple gold, gold medals. He is 33 years old. I remember getting an, a copy uh, of Sports Illustrated in 2002 with a young athlete from Akron, Ohio on the cover. A high school phenom who was supposedly going to be the next Michael Jordan. LeBron James is 35 years old. Serena Williams, tennis super-duper Uperstar is 38 years old. The movie Legally Blonde came out years ago. Reese Witherspoon is 43 years old. I was in high school and there was a golf tournament at this course called the Honors Course. And a young man had come to play in this tournament. He was straight out of high school. He was going to be the next Jack Nicholas. Tiger Woods is 44 years old. Jennifer Aniston, everyone's favorite friend who cannot act apart from television, <laughs> is 50 years old. Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., is 54 years old. Side note, I have a daughter who is seven who when she sees Robert Downey Jr. on television, she says, ooh, he's so handsome. That is awkward for me. <laughs> Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player who ever lived, is 57 years old next week. One of my favorite television shows is The Office, Steve Carell is 57 years old. Jean-Claude Van Damme, 59 years old. Madonna, the material girl, now gets AARP. She is 61 years old. Tom Hanks is 63, and he gets discounts at Captain D's. The Bill Clinton is 73 years old. George W. Bush is 73 years old. Donald Trump is 73 years old. Complete side note. How are three of our presidents the exact same age now? Jack Nicholas is 80 years old. Sophie Lauren is 85 years old. Yoko Ono, anybody remember that? 86 years old. Mikhail Gorbachev, who I saw on TV as much as I did Jordan in the 80s, is 88 years old. Clint Eastwood is 89 years old. Barbara Walters is 90 years old. And timeless Betty White is 98 years old. So imagine you're at my house and I stop the television to Google the age of whomever happens to be on it. Because from time to time that happens... And hope will gently point out the obvious. Chad, 
that person is younger than you. So it hits me. They're not old. I'm old. I got a haircut the other day. I looked down and it was so speckled. It looked like someone had crushed an Oreo at my feet. The Bible talks about this idea of time and how time changes. And what we deal with when we look at people aging in front of us is what this passage points out. Everything changes. People are changing, but everything stays the same. It doesn't seem to me like Steve Carell did a comedy called The Office however many years ago. It seems like that's today. Time changes things. So we're looking at this text today. We, we see a few things. We see a poem. I mean, the poem's really important. We see the point and we see the problem. The poem, the point, and the problem. Again, verses 1 through 8. There's an occasion for everything. This is a song. You may be familiar with it from the birds. But before the birds ever sang this song, Solomon wrote it 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, you would uh, come to the realization that the wisest man who ever lived has written a number one hit. There's an occasion for everything. There's a time for every activity under the sun. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. Celebrations. Weddings, bachelor parties, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing. All of these back and forths dealing with various concepts that all of us work through. This passage talks about the problem of existence, that birth and death, it lets us know about that. It talks about emotion, weeping, laughter, mourning, dancing, love, hate. It talks about activity, planting, gathering, killing, healing, breaking down, building up, casting stones, gathering stones, embracing, not embracing, seeking, losing, keeping, casting away, tearing, sowing, speaking, being silent. This passage is speaking to everything that it means to be human. And when Solomon writes these things to us, he gives us things that we should love and things that we should hate. He gives us things that we want and then he gives us things that we don't. Because if we're reading through this list, it can just do a pick and choose, pull a buffet out of this, if you will. You avoid the vegetables, you get the meat, you get the things you want. We grab the things that are there that, we, that are most meaningful and important to us. We want to laugh. I'm not really into crying all the time. We want to celebrate. I don't like to mourn. We like to go to birth, but funerals are difficult for us. We see this passage speaking to the very truths of life. He doesn't even tell us what to do with any of this. Did you notice that? These first eight verses? There is no place where he stops and he says, here's what you should do. He just tells you what is. If you're a note taker, there are 14 pluses, there are 14 minuses in the passage. Do you know what happens when you have 14 pluses and 14 minuses? They all cancel one another out. This isn't his first poem. In chapter 1, he talks about how nature cancels itself out. And now this teacher is saying the same thing about human beings. Our lives, in, from what I can tell as I look at everything under the sun, it seems as if everything cancels itself out. So you have this king, this teacher, Solomon, according to one commentator who has reached the pinnacle of human glory, and he looks down and he's stranded there. He is at the top of the mountain. But it does not seem to be valuable or worth it. 
everything canceled out. Every plant, it's pulled up. Every building, it's going to be condemned. Every celebration will give way to a funeral. Every peace will give way to more war. How often have we been told on the news that the war that we are looking at is the last one? Only to be caught off guard by the next one. Every birth leads to death. So Solomon has told us about the importance of everyday life, how there is nothing new under the sun. It's this constant change that always stays the same. So what are we, as people who claim to follow Jesus in 2020, supposed to do with this truth? What are we supposed to take from what the teacher of this gathering says? The teacher here in the book of Solomon, or in the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Solomon is not a book of the Bible. That may be something that is completely out of whack. I'm not even sure. What do we do with this story from Ecclesiastes? Well, we can take a few things. We see in 9 through 11 this. If you're a note taker, this should be helpful. If you're not a note taker, just memorize it. And that is 9 through 11, we see that God is over time so we can trust him. And the following will build off of one another. 9 through 11, God is over time so we can trust him. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. We are bound by time, affected by time, impacted by time, yet God is not. He is sovereign over time. The word sovereign means that God is all-powerful. God is, has a reign and a rule over the human existence. God is all-powerful over time. We can trust Him. He's made everything appropriate in His time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. We're going to deal with that in a little bit because it's really important. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing... Wait, we'll stop right there. That no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. God saying to us, He is over things and he is working things together for our good, as Romans 8 will say, because we read the Bible alongside of itself. God doing, God showing, God displaying that he is worthy of our response. God over the time that is over us. Because if you've ever woken up and your body's hurt, it's because you don't rule over time. It always wins. Your favorite athlete will retire. Your favorite movie star will forget their lines eventually. All of these things happen. No one can discover fully. We just have these glimpses. You can even see that in the passage. Verse 10, I've seen what he asks of us. That's what Solomon points out. I see what God asks of us, and I perceive that, but I don't perceive it in full. Verse 12, we see Solomon go on to say that he knows that he should rejoice. Secondly, after we look at God being over time and that we can trust him, God says, there's more to that though. You don't just have to trust me. You can see the way that I care for you in the midst of this and that I am a God worthy of your healthy response. I'm a God worthy of your response because I care for you. I love you. Go with me 12 through 14. God is over time and he is good, so we should enjoy him. God is over time and he is good, so we should enjoy him. Verse 12 through 14, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also 
the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. So what you do with the time you've been given, the ways and the opportunities that you celebrate that are a gift from God. Every meal that you eat that is delicious is a gift from God that is intended to point you to enjoying the God who is over your time. Everything that you drink that is celebratory is pointing to the God who is over your time. Everything that we do and every way that we do it points to a God who is over time. And he is saying, in this world, enjoy me. I don't know at what point it happened, but many in our tradition started to look at God as if he were just this angry, cosmic, grumpy grizzly bear who had a big, long, white beard and just looked at us and rolled his eyes all the time. But we see God in the flesh, God in human form as Jesus, caring and loving and interacting with people who were far from God. And Jesus loving, Jesus pouring himself out. We should enjoy this life. But not to the point that we forget that there is more than this life. God is overtime and he is good So you should enjoy Him, and I should too. Are you enjoying God? Now, this doesn't mean that God's your hobby. Now, we can, very much in our tradition, can make God a hobby. We make sure that we read the right books, we memorize the right stuff, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But one of the issues that comes with that is we make God a part of our schedule rather than Him being the heart of the schedule. God's shaping us. God's God's sending us. And us seeing that God wants us to see him as central to who we are and what we do. What time, what ways are we interacting with God as if he is more than a chore? Have you ever thought about how punishing of a title a quiet time is? It's like you've been put in the corner and been forced to spend time with the God of the Bible doesn't want you to see him like that angry at you for those of us who belong to god he said enjoy me trust me believe me hold fast to me god is over time and god is good so let's enjoy him however that is not all that the text teaches us not only is god over time and good god is over time and god is forever and you and me we're not You are not a forever being in your finite state. You and I will deal with the ramifications of the fact that everything that 1 through 8 says to us are going to affect us emotionally, physically, spiritually. But the God who we worship, who we've met in the person of Jesus, stands outside of that. Here's what he says. Verse 15. Rather, 14 and 15. I apologize. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it. There is no taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him. Whatever it is has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. So the God who we see in this text, who who is saying to us, I am over all things. I'm over time. I'm over space. I'm over existence. And yes, I am good. But do not forget that I am eternal. 
and that you need eternity. As a matter of fact, he's already stated that eternity is written in our genetic code. That's why we ask questions. And that's why our questions can cause problems for us. Think about the question, why? We always ask why. If you have ever spent any time with another human being, they have inevitably asked you why in some way, shape, or form. If you have ever spent time with children, they love the question why. How many whys? Whys are like the Tootsie Roll Pop commercial. There comes a point where you're like, this is miserable. The children ask you a question, why? You give them an answer, why? You give them a third answer, why? You give them a fourth answer. Why? Eventually, you run outside and leave. Just go around the block three or four times on the kid's scooter so they'll ask why when you get back. The why of this passage, we have these, this idea of what why is. But we don't always get the answer to that. Matt Chandler, pastor in Dallas, you've more than likely heard of him, says this. You will never know it all because mystery is a prerequisite for faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mystery is always going to be there. We need it. We need the mystery of eternity. We need it to move from one place to the next, to understand things. God is over time, and He is forever. And because of that, we should fear Him now, in, in the sense of fear that we find in Ecclesiastes at the end, when we're told that we should fear God and keep His commandments, that we should be people who respond to this God. And we, we trust that all of these qualities that we have ascribed to Him, that they matter for eternity's sake. God is over time and He is forever. So fear Him. Have a healthy understanding of who God is. Finally, we see this in verse 16 through 22. God is over time and He is just. So we should honor Him and we should glorify Him. God is over time and He is just. So we should honor Him and we should glorify Him. <coughs> now, Pastor Chad, that's what I call myself. Uh, are you saying to me, so you've got this God who you've just painted a picture of, and now when, I say, when you say you, you mean Solomon, because I didn't paint the picture. Solomon actually does that. And you're telling me that this God is good, but he's also forever. And I, I should enjoy him, but I should still fear him. There's a tension that's there that I don't quite get. The Bible is full of tension. The Bible is full of the tensions of providence and free will, that God reigns and rules and He does as He pleases. If you, don't, if you struggle with that, and let me just help you. If you don't know what it means when the Bible says that God does as He pleases, it means He does as He pleases. He does whatever He wants. The, the wind blows because God makes the wind blow. The wind ceases to blow because God ceases to make the wind blow. God is over all things. And we cannot divorce ourselves from that truth if we are going to be in stride with the God that we find in Scripture. As people who see that God is over all things, there is also this concept of free will where we, as those who are responding to God, are making these decisions where we are seeking and considering, what am I going to do in light of this God? Will I honor Him? Will I enjoy Him? Will I fear Him? 
Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers. And really, when a pastor says that, Spurgeon's one of everybody's favorite preachers. Everybody loves Spurgeon. When he was asked about God's sovereignty and God's free will, he says, and how he would reconcile those two things. I love what his response. I never have to reconcile friends. Those things work together. They work in light of one another. But in 16 through 22, we see that honoring and glorifying God are things that this teacher is struggling with, that he's wrestling with, because all of us are wrestling with this. This guy rules the known world, and he says there has to be something more because I still ache when I wake up. I still long for things when they're away from me. I am hurting, and there has to be someone who does not. So we look at the text, and we see this, 16. I have observed under the sun there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. There is wickedness all around us, friends. And I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. The teaching of Scripture is that this is absolutely true, that we as people with free will in light of the providence and sovereignty of God are called to respond to Him and consider Him and think on Him because honestly we are in this situation where wickedness reigns. So maybe you've never thought about it this way. For many of us, though we have grown up in really healthy Christian traditions where we have been taught good doctrine and all of these things, we still have this underlying misunderstanding of who God is. Because we have a right and wrong based on the people that are sitting next to us. And we look at the people that we work with and the people that we spend time with and we say, well, you know, I'm definitely going to be in a better situation for eternity Because I've never done the things that he did, and I've never said the things that she did. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never done these things. So I'm good because I'm good. I've shared this with some of you before. I walked into a frozen yogurt shop one time because I like to eat ice cream that's given up. And on their board, they had this chalkboard inside. And on the chalkboard, it said, if your yogurt, when you wait, you put it in the cup, there's sprinkles on top of it, like a cherry berry when you weigh your cup if it weighs 11.2 ounces it's absolutely free what they don't tell you is that if it weighs 11.3 ounces it is $41.13 so you have this cup that everyone is inevitably trying to balance out just right Many of us are like that in our attempt to please God. If my good outweighs my bad, then I'll be okay. We run off of what we call sometimes lateral goodness. The goodness of comparison. But under the sun, all of those things will eventually run into a brick wall they may get you to the point where you are considered acceptable compared to the person next to you. But because wickedness is not something that is out there, wickedness is something that is in here, they will eventually and eternally corrupt you. And you don't need someone to be a helper to you. You need someone to save you from that. So we look at this passage and it's saying to us that all of us 
have been invited in this, into this e- relationship with this eternal God who is over time and who is just. And to be in that right relationship with God, there must be a point where we realize that we are neither of those things apart from Him. That we would be people who look and we would see what it means to honor Him and glorify Him. And in order to honor and glorify Him, that starts with Him meeting us in the person of Jesus. Now, so verse 19, For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They, have all, they all have the same breath. So if anyone's ever told you you have doggy breath, it's true. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. So hear what Solomon says to you and what he says to me. You, me, Fluffy, and Fido, we are all dumb and we are all going to die. Every one of us. You don't outrun death. But Chad, you said that Solomon said that God has written eternity in our hearts. It's there. It's the reason that we're fascinated by heaven. It's the reason that culture is fixated on hell and judgment. We have this picture of heaven. And I don't know how this came to be, but this idea that we have of heaven is that it is... We're all going to leave this world and we will transfer ourselves into the bodies of chubby baby angels with wings that can't make us fly. And that we're going to be laying on a cloud for eternity. You've seen those, right? I don't see the Bible telling us any of that. Heaven is the full expanse and the glory and the joy of the presence of God forever. That we're going to be in God's presence. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that heaven's just going to be a a, a worship service? It's going to be a worship service in the way that the Bible intends for worship services to be. Not just formal gatherings, but that we are people who will worship God for eternity as people who exist in His presence. Think about it like this. How many of you have ever been in a place in your spiritual walk with the Lord where you just looked and you you realized, I'm kind of in a good space right now. Anybody ever been there? If you're, okay. I love an honest room. Where we are in a relationship with everything seems to be going well. Satan is throwing his fiery darts at us and we're just deflecting them. Boom, 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 boom. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme pre-59 years old. And we are in this place where there is nothing that takes our focus from the Lord. But eventually we wear down. Because life is hard and there's a season for everything. And when that happens for us, we, we struggle some. But God reminds us that He's good and He's gracious. We're in a right relationship. We, we know that He loves us and that we're in right relationship. But we also see the valleys. And in this world, those valleys are helpful because those valleys help us to see how good our God is and how much He cares for us because He meets us there as much as He meets us on the mountain. But eternity is the presence of God forever. 
and he's removed all the weeping of the valleys. And we get to exist and experience the glory of God. For, and, we, and we get to be there without those things that would take our focus and our attention from him. Removing the struggles. The other side of it is the eternity that is hell. Look, we talk about hell here, but I, I just straight out, let me be completely upfront with you. We never want to use hell to wave it over anyone's head and make them fear God in this negative sense of what fear is. Because heaven is not a place for people who are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. Is hell the poor picture that we've been given from media, from Dante? Is it pitchforks and flaming torment and a pointy tail? Here's what we can know from the Scriptures, that hell is the absence of God. And because everything good and perfect comes from God, that means that you are all of the joys of heaven that we talked about a moment ago. For those who are in hell, they will never know any of that. So when we encourage you to share your faith with your lost friends, it's because there's this divine tension between God's providence and free will, and we're called to plead and honor God with our lives and love people in a way that says that He's worthy of knowing, that Jesus is more than we even realize He is. He's better than we even acknowledge that He is. Jesus is good. And we call us to think through this. And this Jesus that we look at, that we talk about, that we think about as believers in Jesus, as those who call ourselves Christians, without Jesus, we would just be Ian's. We see Jesus working. And we see God talking about himself. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And we wave our hands, we should sing, and we should be grateful for that. But we don't need to miss this, that that very God who was before there was a was. There was a time when he was born. There was a time that he healed the sick. There was a time where he built up, he tore down. There was a time where he partied with sinners. There was a time where he wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. There was a time for this Jesus to die. And now there's this time where he's going to build up his church, as one of my friends says. And there will be a day when there is a time where he will return and call us home. A time where he ushers in total peace, void of the strife and war of this world. Because Jesus stepped into time, Galatians 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the very right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. There is time. So what are you doing with your time and what am I doing with my time?
Am I investing it in kingdom things that honor the God who I call my king? Am I leaning in and loving my neighbor in the way that my king would call me to lean in and love my neighbor? Am I pouring out my time for the sake of serving Christ and his church? Am I using all that I am for the sake of all that he is because he has called me to this time? Let's be careful as followers of Jesus to look at this story of God's pointing out what time is and how time works. And not miss that right now he speaks to us and says, invest in the way that I've called my people to invest. I stepped into time for you so that you could step out of time and spend it with me. Here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to pray for us. If you need me, as always, I'm in the back left-hand corner of the room. But your heads are bowed right now. I would invite you to do that. And again, we are all eternal in the sense that our souls are eternal. But there are some of you who may not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus today has invited you at this very time into a relationship with himself. He wants you to know him and love him and respond to him. He cares for you deeply. In the grand scheme of providence and free will, Jesus is inviting you because he's pointing out your sin and your wickedness and your injustice and showing you that you in this life, no matter how good you are compared to your neighbor, cannot never measure up for the sake of eternity. And if you're here and you've never believed in Jesus, Jesus offers you hope. If you've got questions about any of this, we love questions here. We don't always have the answers, but we can take you to the scriptures that we believe do. So if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, today may be the day where you trust Jesus for the first time. And it's simply, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me from my sin. I need you to, to deliver me from it. So Jesus, I'm going to give you my sin, which leads to this death that this passage seems to be talking about, that the Bible tells us about. And I'm going to trust in you. If you prayed that or something like that, I'll be at the back corner of the room. Like I said, please come chat with me. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. And you've never become a member of this church. We'd love to chat with you about that as well. About why you would invest your time, your talent, your treasure here at Grace Bible. There is a possibility that you're a member here, but you are looking at your time right now and you see that it's being wasted. And maybe you've given yourself excuses like now's not the time. I don't really know where you get that. We want you to function in God's kingdom in the way that God desires. There are opportunities for you to serve. We want you to do so. Lord, we thank you for a morning like today where we can look at this scope of eternity. And I pray that the depths of it, God, will speak to our souls. God, that your eternal perspective 
will speak into our finite hearts. And just with your heads bowed, I want to just ask this one more thing, this this question, because I don't want to overlook anyone. There is a possibility that you're here and you're in one of these deep, dark seasons where you're mourning and you can't see the other side, where you're working and you don't see or feel any value to it. You're not alone. So if there's anything that we can do to come alongside of you, please let us know. Because God has called us and appointed us at this time to shepherd you as well as we possibly can. Lord Jesus, again, move among us. We ask all this in your powerful name.